Welcome to Changing the Channel with Joe Garner, a show about shifting our individual and collective beliefs on what is possible for the future of humanity. As our understanding of how our reality continues to shift, we are at a point of reunification between science and spirituality. What does the world look like when we break free from the generational trauma that has kept most humans playing small for thousands of years and step into our full power as the co-creators of this reality? I always ask that you keep an open mind with this podcast. Ask yourself what resonates with my truth at this time and what does not. Respect your intuition, but see if you can get through the whole show because there might be that little nugget buried deep in the conversation that unlocks something for you. Welcome back to Changing the Channel. I have a uh, a true brother with me. His name is Ricky Hop. We go back all the way all the way back to our days at the University of Delaware. And like another guest, Tyler, on the show, we were fraternity brothers back at Delaware. We've been golfing together. Ricky's got a wonderful drive, and his short game has plenty to be worked <laughs> on. Um, and the reason he's here today is because he's been in the energy and sustainability sector for the last 15 years. He's been working with some of the biggest companies in the energy sector and helping them become sustainable, thinking a little bit more outside of the box as far as solutions to the current problems that we have with the energy sector, with sustainability in the energy sector. And I'm excited to have him here today. So welcome to the show, Ricky. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I think your viewers need to know the, how good of a drive you have and how much of an athlete you are. I don't know if people that gets across. This guy is one of the, the best low-key athletes that I ever met. And if my drive could ever be as good as yours, that that would be nice. That's something I could shoot for. But yeah, no. I appreciate that. It, <laughs> it, it might be there because I probably, I don't know, the last time I played golf was sometime in June, so... Uh, you might be able to to put one out there past me. All right, well, we got to place it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would love Yeah, thanks that. for having me. So let's get Thank into you. it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into it. The um, the biggest thing that I think you wanted to, to talk about and share is the idea of partnerships and how partnerships have been guiding this shift towards sustainability. Uh, that that is probably not just one company that's going to solve this gigantic um, puzzle. I'm not going to call it an issue. I'll say it's a puzzle to figure out how we go from using pretty much a finite resource or finite resources to power the world and how we move away from finite resources and move into uh, whether it's sustainable or possibly regenerative sources of power so you know if you've been in the industry for 15 years how have partnerships kind of helped and how have you seen partnerships evolve over this the the past 15 years yeah awesome question um yeah i've been do, doing this for a long time really started a traditional more of a traditional energy perspective and as sustainability has evolved and become part of a da our daily lives and it's still i think in its infancy if you're really thinking about it it's becoming more part of our daily conversations when it comes to energy, which it, it should be. Um, when we started, though, when I started in the industry, it was much more of a supplier, vendor, customer type of a relationship. You know, energy is looked at this 
good. I mean, it is what it, it's a commodity and it's viewed as a commodity. And uh, people expect the lights to turn on when you flick a switch, right? They expect you to be able to, uh, you know, get from one place to another via your car and the fuel that is behind it. But it's in and of itself is not a very exciting thing for people. It's just like an expectation that it should be there. So because of that, you've had an industry that has been very much that type of a, well, I expect you to deliver this good and this service to us so that I can do all the other things in my life, right? So originally there just wasn't a lot of partnership. It's just much more of like, you are a supplier of energy, provide me that energy and it better be affordable and it better be reliable. And that was it. And now with the world, with sustainability really taking a center stage topic, right? Rightfully so, in, in, in my opinion, and many people around the world, uh, we're starting to realize though that it is something that you can't just turn on a light switch and say, okay, now all the energy that has been powering the entire global economy for the past uh, 200 years is now going to be completely clean. Energy runs in every aspect of our life. I mean, down to uh, the toothbrush that you have in your hand comes from an, some sort of an energy source. So everything you do in your life comes from energy. To change the infrastructure of energy to be sustainable source is something that requires time, money, attention. And that's where, that's what actually creates a really good partnership. And that's why you're starting to see a change in a business model for companies like the companies I work for and the companies I work with away from a buyer a seller vendor type of relationship to much more of like a partnership consortium. How can we come together and really make this monumental change of energy from one or a few different sources to one that's much more diversified, brings in more cleaner energy needs so that we can maintain that resiliency, that reliability and that affordability for our energy system because you need it all. You can't just have one piece of it, in my in my opinion. So. Finally, a place for listeners to gather and share. Join the Ascension Update Substack for messages and updates from our brothers and sisters helping with the Ascension, articles on the future of humanity, and a Q&A where you can ask my guides anything you would like. This is the hub for everything Ascension related. Click the link in the show notes or go to joegarner.substack.com to stay at the leading edge of this movement. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and I think I think the partnership is definitely a way forward in a lot of these kind of existential crises that we have, these these ideas that we're, we're getting to a point where we can't continue to do things the, the same way that we've been doing them. A, because so many people are coming into um, higher standards of living. So what worked when there were only 100 million people at a certain standard of living isn't going to work when there's two or three billion people at that same standard of living. And 
most people would probably agree that the solution to the problem isn't to go back to only 100 million people being at that standard of living. That's the problem that I think a lot of people have with this this WEF model of how to get to sustainability, that, that we go back to eating bugs or that you know, we'll, we'll own nothing and be happy about it. And unfortunately, you know, we have to find this middle ground between raising the standard of living for everyone on the planet that seems fair, that seems just, that seems like the right thing to do, but also figuring out these solutions. And it's going to be partnerships. It's not going to be one or two, you know, it's not, we can't put it all on Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos to figure this problem out. It has to be from the bottom up. And I think we have to kind of really think about how we structure our public, private, and governmental um, agencies and and um, all of the businesses that are in that field because it can't just it can't be based on strictly competition. And like you said, it. it it's to be based on partnerships, working together, sharing information and sharing technology. Um, and that's that's definitely, I think, where we are moving towards. So maybe you can share a little bit about specifics in the industry and, and what you're seeing as far as partnerships go, how, how the uh, energy industry is starting to evolve towards more and more sustainability. Yeah, there's... I, I really like the way that you talk about it, Joe. And it's like, you need to come to the table not being like, you you oil and gas companies ruined the world over the past you know 50 years. Therefore, you can't be a part of the conversation. That is a, not the way things are going to get done, right? Government decisions have been made in the past. Oil and gas companies have done certain things. You think about just even farm companies and agricultural companies and, and construction companies, you know, this, this has been something that has been widespread that has effects across everyone and every, and everything that we do in our lives. And we need to come to the table together to try to figure out how can we do this thoughtfully over time? I mean, to, to your point, the majority of the world still operates on coal. I mean, that, you know, coal. So, we're not even talking about oil or natural gas. The majority of the world is still using all of their energy from coal. So a lot of our industry leaders and government leaders are come together once a year at COP, uh, the COP conference, to figure out how we can help drive forward to reaching the Paris climate uh, agreements to keep the Earth's temperature below 1.5 degrees Celsius, right? That's one of the that's probably the biggest climate target that is out there and every year the, the countries come together and say how can we help drive global progress right that is the highest scale of partnership is at that global level but you have a real issue with a lot of these developing countries that cannot afford to jump as they're starting to enter into their industrial basically their industrial revolution what the United States and the Western world went through the last couple hundred years, they're starting to go through that now. They're essentially being told they have to do it with very expensive, clean energy. Right? And they're saying, well, how is that? 
how is that fair that you were able, Western world, you were able to uh, develop these economies by using very cheap and affordable and available energy needs, right? Without any sort of support. So there's a big conversation around how do we help support, uh, how does the Western world help support the growing economies so that they can bridge that gap and get to that next level of prosperity so they don't have to go back to eating you know, peanuts, even though some countries actually are unfortunately eating very poorly. But how can we get them out of poverty through energy that is affordable, right? I think affordability is incredibly important, if not more important than sustainability, but they're also trying to do it in a sustainable way, in a reliable way. Um, so partnership at that scale, you're seeing these types of conferences like COP. Then you have partnership that's more in what I, I do on a daily basis, which is your corporate which is your corporate partnership that also brings local government involvement into place, right? But it's much more of like your climate leaders that are trying to essentially get more energy capacity onto our grids, right? Uh, I work with some of the climate-leading technology companies. These climate-leading technology companies have a lot of money. They also have a lot of... Uh, like political sway and just really good brand recognition in a lot of ways, right? They've done a very good job of trying to lead this climate charge, uh, but it's not easy, right? Even if they want to be able to say, like, we, we want to purchase wind energy and we want to purchase solar energy, that doesn't mean that you can just put wind and solar into the ground tomorrow, right? There's a huge process involved in getting a government uh, approval, getting permitting in place to make sure that you're building it correctly and that the local, um, that you're not displacing communities and uh, other people who have jobs and careers and uh, generations of lifestyle in that certain area, right? There's so many pieces just to get to the point of putting that wind into the ground. Then you need, or putting that infrastructure into the ground. Then as you build it, how are you going to connect it? How are you going to connect that energy that is produced to get to the facility and to the substations and to the infrastructure that's already in place or to the customer itself? It is an incredibly complex... Um, it's an incredibly complex framework that needs to be put in place that, re that requires involvement from so many different players that you can't just have a buyer and a seller anymore. You have to have a community involvement. You have to have government involvement. You have to have uh, your corporates involved and your energy companies involved. And sometimes the energy company that's building it, they also need to work with tens to 20 different um, contractors or subject matter experts um, and even you know research people to ensure that the way that they're building something is being done considering the environment and considering biodiversity. I mean, there's just... So many different people and companies and NGOs that need to be involved just to build energy infrastructure, just one energy infrastructure. So it's impossible to be a buyer and a seller. You have to have partnerships is, is my point. And it's be only right. becoming more complex. And the more complex it becomes, the more partners you're going to, the more partnership is going to play a pivotal role in that space. 
Now, do you see partnerships as a a way of almost decentralizing this very centralized system? You know, probably 15, 20, when you were just getting into it, it probably seemed like a very centralized system. There were, you know, eight or nine key players that held a majority of the power buying distribution, all you know, every aspect of, of the energy cycle. Um, and now as we start to move towards partnerships, you know, that that starts to diffuse this centralized power and seems to be, you know, it, it seems to make it easier to have these more decentralized where, you know, a group of people can can make a pretty large change versus if you're not in a more centralized system, if you're not sitting at that boardroom, you're not making a big difference within the company. Whereas do you feel that now people at mid and even even lower levels of, of these companies are able to make a change and have a positive effect on on you know how we uh distribute and and produce energy yeah oh man joe you, i think you've been doing your research on energy <laughs> that's a that's a really good it's a really good question can you can you still hear me though i'm because i'm getting a little okay great. yeah um decentralization is is playing a bigger and bigger role when it comes to energy and sustainability a very large level from just when you think of our overall power grid and energy grid that is existing and run by utilities that's changing to more of a decentralized model where you can have uh microgrids or wind, solar, uh, battery, traditional gas, um, all that set up for communities. Nuclear? Nuclear Nuclear as well? There's, yep, yep, absolutely. There's now, um, yeah, modular nuclear that's becoming quite popular, right? Where it's taking away some of the fears of big nuclear, not in my backyard, and bring make that more of a modular smaller nuclear reactor that can go into the ground and being faced by a lot of steel um i mean yeah it's some tremendous technology is being developed and having a decentralized type of model to help support the traditional non-decentralized i'm a i'm a big supporter of it i think we're in a position now where we we need more and we need newer and we need diverse so we're, we don't necessarily need to be picking and choosing right now what type of energy we should be saying yes and yes and yes because the technology and the infrastructure of a decentralized model is incredibly important, but it will take many years for us to get to a point where we have option A, option B, and option C until you know, if for some reason something happens with option A, people will still be able to get their energy needs from option B and option C. So um, again, it's it's not, it's this matrix of just having decentralized systems that are closer to where people operate, that they can get different types of energy that also connect in with, you know, more traditional grids that are, exist because i mean to be fair it is a, it is a very good grid that was built the power grid um that being said it's in becoming an old grid and a very aging and a very fragile right. grid 
happens. We've seen, you know, many times that a blackout can occur here and it can roll and blackout many parts of the country. And then you have a, a, a freeze like what happened in Texas, where, you know, if you don't have enough generation online and you have a lot of demand, it's a very fragile balancing system that we have currently in place. Uh, I don't think people realize how fragile our electricity grid is, where if you have generators that go offline unexpectedly because of weather incidents or unplanned maintenance, and you have people that need energy during these times, that creates a, a blackout. What are your backup options? Where are those decentralized models? You need it all. That's that's my perspective. So, And then down to more of a decentralized model and, you know, individual level how can how can more people that aren't large corporates still feel like they're getting involved and being part of something that's meaningful uh maybe more so than say like i'm planting trees right I, don't get me wrong i think that planting trees is actually a fantastic way to be involved in sustainability and trees do take um carbon dioxide out of the air and breathe as because they take it out and they breathe out oxygen which makes it great for people unfortunately i think a lot of corporates and uh governments have used that as like their only contribution to sustainability and that's where you get the problem right that's where the issue of uh that's that's why people view planting trees as just being greenwashing because if that's all you do and that's all you're part of your solution, then you're not really taking it to the next level. So giving individuals the option to contribute and be part of something and make choices do have a real effect on uh, bringing diverse, clean energy resources or like cleaner energy resources to the mix is something that we need more business models to be able to support and to incentivize people. Even those who don't need to be incentivized, the 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 incentive for them is just doing the right thing. We'll give them the give them more options to be able to do that. There's still not a lot of options for people other than paying seventy thousand dollars for an EV vehicle, which most of the world can't even afford. Right? That's that's not an right. option for most people. Um, you know, flying a, a flight that they can technically contribute to making it a carbon neutral flight by paying an extra $4, you know, I don't think that's really that big of an incentive either for people or that compelling of a reason to for people to do it. There's a lot more opportunities for people that where they can get involved and need to get involved to be part of this solution that will help us continue to drive forward a diverse, clean energy system. So can you give us an example of maybe one or two ways that somebody who isn't in the energy sector can can get a little bit more involved, can have a little bit more say in how they are getting or receiving their energy? Yeah, um, I mean, De- from a decentralized market, there, there are co-ops allow you to work. But again, it's the real effective ways that we've seen it 
are where you get involved with your neighbors, your neighborhood, you create a co-op. That co-op can go out and essentially purchase renewable energy from a, a local developer. And they essentially can uh, buy energy from a solar farm they can see, you know, down, down the street. I mean, that is one way that you're seeing more like local towns getting involved. And you're seeing a lot of those local municipalities getting in, getting involved. But that's not down. That's not the scale of like a one of a one person contribution. I'd say that as of now, um, other than you know upgrading your home LED light bulbs and getting solar on your rooftop and doing things that are really in your control, um, it's paying with your wallet, buying buying you know sustainable products from from companies that you trust and. A lot of that trust needs to come from your own research and understanding of what type of commitments they've made, right? There's a there's no shortage of information now that shows what pledges companies have signed up for, um, how much of their uh, how much of their investments go into sustainable products, and you know, and how they're giving back to the communities and what their scores are, right? And that's where you have. You have government and you have private working together, another type of partnership to ensure that we have good standards of determining who's actually doing stuff and who's just talking about doing stuff, right? And there's organizations like CDP, RE100. I mean, so many different organizations out there that are keeping track of who are the leading companies, who are the leading well, mostly companies, I'd say. It's mostly corporates and some governments that are investing a lot more into ensuring that they're treating people fairly that are built, that are creating their products. So going beyond energy, right? This is like sustainability for CSR, corporate social responsibility, right? For the people that are creating products, um, as well as ensuring that water is not being excessively used, right? And that uh, if they are using water, how are they replenishing that water? Um, how are they ensuring that ecosystems remain intact? And are they using clean energy? So that's how I would encourage at a micro level is just really understanding which companies fulfill the values and where and meeting, kind of meeting you where you are, right? You can find a lot more research in that, um, and you, hopefully you can utilize those those companies. And then if not, if you can't, if let's say you still got to fill up fuel, and you got to you're you're driving your regular car like I am, I still drive a traditional uh, SUV that does not have great miles to the gallon. I I fill up, but there are opportunities for me to invest money on my own, which I do into developing lower carbon biofuels because we need more biofuel supply to be able to come to the market at affordable prices for more people to be able to adopt filling their cars with substitute biofuels. Right. Um, but it's expensive right now. So that's my contribution and how I pay. I do pay a little bit more to hopefully help build a, bit, a bigger infrastructure for these lower carbon fuels. 
Yeah, and you, I think you bring up a really good point. It's that we vote with our dollar every single day. So if you're just spending money on energy and not researching what that what the companies that you're buying that energy from, who they are, what they're what they're giving to sustainability, and then you know if you have if you're you know have the luxury of having extra money that you can invest in are you investing in companies that are sustainable or regenerative are you investing in companies that are going to make the future of the humanity a little bit better or are you investing in companies that are going to bring you the highest return over the shortest period of time and that's a decision that each one of us gets to make because at the end of the day you know there is a profit maximization that goes on in in the economy and and that plays in part but there are a lot of companies that are at least stepping away from the profit at all cost profit maximization model and they're moving towards a conscious capitalistic model and an idea that not only should companies only be involved in maximizing the benefits for shareholders, but they're also maximizing it for customers, for uh, employees, for the local government, for the national government, and for the environment, and taking all of the stakeholders' values and propositions and, and making it more of a circular uh, instead of pyramid style. So that's that's the idea of like conscious capitalism. And, and I've had a few guests on who are big proponents of this idea of conscious capitalism versus just profit at all cost capitalism, which we've seen the limits of that. And I think it played a role. I think that that form of capitalism at the time that it was coming out, especially early 20th century all the way up through the 50s and 60s we needed that kind of capitalism because without it we wouldn't have grown to a point where we can make these decisions that we get to we we are afforded to make at this point but we can't just use those for in perpetuity you know we have to continue evolving the 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 only constant is change so We've seen where the limits are of those, and now we're now the ideas of these new ways of of being a capitalistic society are are being born. Um, a lot of people talk about we're in this late capitalistic phase where you know something new is going to take over for capitalism, and and I don't know, I'm not sure I'm a hundred percent in on there's just going to be this new phase now. That's barring, of course, some type of major evolution in how we interact as a as a global society you know if if in 15 years there's a zero emissions energy system that that is invented or is allowed to come out uh like a zero point energy system or something like that then yeah we can maybe have a conversation about completely evolving how we do things but at this point that's not a feasible thing so we have to work within the confines and the constructs of our current system to figure out Okay, what are the best ways? And I think the more communication, the more involvement we have with as many people as possible, the more partnerships, the more decentralized we're able to make it, the better these decisions can be. Because from a decentralized place, from a um, if you have a small 
group of energy companies that can make quick decisions and changes and see, okay, this worked, this didn't work, this this was uh, a huge success, and then share that with as many people as possible. That's how you really get to to these shifting, um, to to really shifting how we do what we've been doing for so long. So I think it'll be interesting to see as we come into this how that plays out and and where it goes, especially in the energy sector. Like you said, it's it's not a very sexy sector for business. Everybody's talking about tech, AI, all of this stuff, but without energy, none of that runs. None of that exists. Right. So we we can't forget about energy and, and how that plays. I mean, at a fundamental level, it is the economy. Yeah, you bring up some really cool points. Um... You know, there's decentralization, which I think is incredibly important. But when you look at this, just the overall stock market, right? Yes, we are tied to this quarterly profit. How do we maximize shareholder return? I mean, that is what drives so many of these public corporate corporations, right? So if you think about like, is that model going to change? I wish it I wish it would. I don't know how much it's going to be able to change it, the time that we need to be able to shift our energy uh to a more sustainable economy. I don't know if it's going to that that model is going to change, but you can influence that model, right? Through things and I I'm going to say something else that's not not sexy at all and that's taxes. But when you start to think about, you know, a lot of people, you don't want to talk about taxes, but when you start to think about constructs like a carbon tax, these are the things that are being discussed a lot as people start to produce. And if you're going to produce it, it's going to reduce and it's going to emit certain carbon emissions or methane emissions and things like that. Well, what if you can do that? You're going to have to pay to be able to produce that. And you're seeing that become even more widespread and relevant in uh, Europe and other in countries in, in Europe. That's probably going to come to the U.S. at some point, to the rest of the Western world. But that is going to be a way that it's going to influence profitability for these businesses to make more important decisions as to, okay, is the carbon tax worth us continuing the way that we're going to that we've been producing goods or do we need to produce goods in a different way that allows us to incentivize that the other the other piece of it is global trading of carbon right so you have this tax or and you also have this revenue that you get from doing lower carbon lower carbon investments so when you receive these carbon credits there's a there's a monetary value to that right so what do you do with it? Do you keep it? You like retire it in your name towards your sustainability goals, or can you sell that to other companies? Uh, now again, this is these are controversial topics. There, we, there's a lot of people that are for them. There's people that are against them. But if you think about different, it's a different type of a business model that still meets, that still plays into profitability of so many companies where they don't necessarily need to change the entire construct altogether, uh, but still starts to impact 
businesses' decisions based on their economics, um, where if they can invest in more projects and that the value of those projects, they can easily quantify and they can sell it to someone else. And then they become more profitable. Their shareholders still remain happy and they're doing more good. That's just, these are, those are two of the things that are on the horizon that we're starting to see. Do I think it's the only thing that should be done? Absolutely not. I think that there needs to be some you know, thinking that is far beyond the boxes of today of and that just rethink capitalism altogether, which I think is more getting towards what you know conscious capitalism is looking at. But I do think that there's elements of conscious capitalism in these two types of uh, frameworks. So it's interesting to see how that's going. But I would state I would be very aware of these two: this carbon tax and this trading of carbon, let's say emissions credits and how these are going to grow in the global economy in the next uh, five five to 10 years. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that, how that plays out. I was going to bring up uh, carbon credits and see what your perspective was on those, but you shared that. So I think that's interesting well, let, that... I will... Can I give you a little perspective on the carbon, carbon credits? It goes back to what I was saying earlier about planting trees. Planting planting trees are great. <laughs> and but you also need to plant trees the right way. You can't just plant trees to plant trees because actually if you plant trees improperly and you plant them all right next to each other in a place that you're not supposed to plant them near 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 a highway that or near some sort of an industrial mark you actually increase risk of those trees catching on fire and then burning down an entire ecosystem and, and creating a far worse problem if it's not done properly, right? So, you know, I don't want to hate on planting trees because there is, you, you, you can do it a right way and a wrong way, but there's a lot of other carbon credits that are coming out, actually are coming off of brand new technologies like carbon capture, direct air capture, you can get carbon credits off of these as well, right? Um, road transport. If you're driving hydrogen vehicles, if you're driving EV or you're building electrical infrastructure, all of those are associated with different types of carbon credits. And at the end of the day, carbon credits are just financing vehicles because at the end of the day, you need to pay with your wallet at all different levels. If I'm an individual consumer, one of the other, you know, going back to your prior question, another area that I can use pay with my dollar is just to purchase an energy plan that is uh, comes from renewable sources. I don't even have to go and get a co-op to do that. I can do it myself, right? So paying with your dollar comes at a micro level, like an individual consumer, but it also comes at a macro level. And carbon credits are one of those main vehicles of investment at a macro level to be able to pay with your dollar if you're a corporation or a government to be able to invest in more of these. So I actually think the concept of carbon credits is really good. But I think there's bad actors. I do. I think that there's companies out there's companies out there that say that they're investing in really great renewable projects that are just purely greenwash product greenwashing. And it's really important. Again, individuals do their research. 
but corporations and governments do their research to ensure that they're investing in best of breed projects with best of breed companies and best of breed people. Not easy. Um, in, and even if you try yeah, if to take, if there's one thing that we've learned today, like it, it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, and you can do all that research and you still get screwed every now and then that shouldn't stop you from trying again, I guess is my point. You know? Yeah. And the, I think it's important to, to definitely, you've mentioned it once or twice already, but the carbon credits, it's not the solution. This is a temporary bridge to an idea of finding, giving us a little bit more time to find an actual solution. So instead of doing the Western medicine approach of just um, just treating all of the symptoms, it's actually, you know, let's find a place. Because I think even EVs, even hydrogen, I mean, maybe not hydrogen, but certainly electric vehicles are... They're just a temporary bridge as well, because right now, what is it, 90% of electricity is produced from uh, non-renewable resources. So even though you're still using electric, you're not using gas anymore by putting it physically into your car, you're still using non-renewable resources to create the energy that is that is using it. And the inputs that go into those electric vehicles are even more scarce than a lot of the non-renewable energy sources that exist. So it's, it, from my perspective, the, the EVs, until we come up with a, a regenerative solution to, to creating energy, which again, you know, the closest that I think we've gotten to is nuclear. probably nuclear. And I love, I, I love the, the module nuclear, um projects that are coming out there's there's at least 50 of them in the world right now where i mean in a plant in a facility that is most likely going to be almost all automated they're creating and building these uh essentially shipping container size modules that you just stack one in front uh in front of another you can bury them you can put them wherever if you have a community of 1500 people you know if everybody goes in they can actually buy it or they can finance it and and be paying towards it so you kind of take the onus off of energy companies and you put it back in the hands of smaller groups of people which i think will be pretty important um but again that's still still not you know the longest term solution that i think we can find and and but it is probably a little bit better than ev it's a little bit better than wind it's a little bit better uh, again solar is an option but it's the same inputs for solar than it is for ev i mean photovoltaic um the photovoltaic the stuff that it takes to make the photovoltaic layer that that turns sun into energy is a very scarce resource as well so it, it it's not necessarily solving the problem it's just kind of moving it to a different uh, you know, it's like the cup and ball game where maybe there's two balls in this and one ball in that one. And all of a sudden now there's three balls underneath one cup. And it's like, oh, well, we it feels like we're doing something really good. You get that emotional feeling that I'm doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's not 
actually the solution to the problem. And it, it uh, again, if there's anything that you take away from this conversation today, it's that solving this problem is immensely complex and is going to take way more than just so two complex. or 10 or 15 groups. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, man, you, br you brought up a lot of really good points there. Um, with EV, yeah, EV one, it, it's just to your point, lithium very scarce resource. Um, your the other point that I completely agree with you is that you're only it's only as clean as the grid that power that is powered, right? Here, what powers that grid? I don't. I'm not going to confirm or deny that 90% of emissions or 90% of energy is not i guess renewable globally but non-renewable yeah I, I do think they're non-renewable i do think that it's probably close to that there are certain grids that are much cleaner and therefore your ev if you charge on that is much better but then there's much worse over time as it develops we get more cleaner resources or more renewable sources on ev could essentially be better but then you still have the problem of using scarce resources you know, it's so yes, EV is not the pinnacle solution. And that's, I think, the point you're bringing up. Hopefully, it's incrementally better than the currents right? and we continue to develop it. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the solution that's going to get us to the end goal tomorrow or five years from now, even. And there still needs to be a lot of technologies that improve. I love the idea of also of SMR. Modular reactors, modular reactors for nuclear. It's incredible, but you know, nuclear, nuclear didn't work in the U.S. Not because com companies and governments didn't want to use nuclear. That came down to individuals with their wallet by saying that they didn't want nuclear. Now the tides are starting to right. change, and maybe. There's new technology that's showing that it uh, makes more sense and that it's safer and they don't have to worry about it. Well, time will tell if that works, and I hope it does. But that decision has come from people making that decision at a very in decentralized individual level that said, we don't want nuclear because they saw what happened in certain places, right? What the effects were of right. that. It's kind of like also flying a plane. Planes are the safest form of transportation. You know, people think about plane crashes. A lot of people don't like to fly because of that reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's again, you know, educating the population. It's, it's just making the other options more aware. And again, that also takes time. But we're in a place, we're in a time. time where technology is speeding up all of this, the information, the access, um, the ability to in moments for some type of news to go around the world. Now, right now, a lot of that news that's going around the world really quick is negative news about you know anything that's happening. But this, the other side of the coin is that any invention, any new technology, anything like that can be brought to every corner of the world in, in record time now. I mean, you see what, what Elon's done with Tesla taking a car company from 2004 to 2012 and, and basically doing what it took to Toyota or Ford 
uh, decades to do, and he did it in under ten decades. years. Yep. And now, from twelve, from twelve to twenty-three, he's he's become a major player in in this uh, you know massive thing. So we're seeing the time it takes to get massive change to come through. Uh, again, you know, he picked a technology that isn't necessarily the end all be all, but I, I think he's smart enough to continue to evolve. And there's tons of other smart people in the world who can evolve and continue to, to take these massive actions. So the last one I wanted to talk to you about was the steady investor. You have a little side hustle going on. Um, tell us a little bit about the steady investor and what that is and, and what you're sharing with the world. Yeah. Thanks for the plug on this. Um, if there's one thing I like more than energy and sustainability, it's personal finance. <laughs> so I started a, a, a blog a few years ago, uh, essentially just practical finance, practical, you know, real estate, um, saving and investment. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of influencers out there that are, have many follow, more followers than I do. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot with, with the liberal, with the democratization of information, right. And how much information is out there. There's a lot of information that I feel in the, in the finance space that is, is not necessarily the best for people who live a very, let's say a steady, practical lifestyle that maybe are a little bit more risk averse and are just trying to do the basics right live a good lifestyle and be able to you know save and invest their money so that they can retire uh, without fear so uh, since I love personal finance I feel that it's something that I spend a lot of time my educations back in finance I started this this investment blog uh, I've taken it more to Instagram Instagram, I think, is a lot of fun in terms of just being able to take content and put your own little spit on and also just get content out that's quick and impactful. So I started that. I throw some energy and sustainability in there as well, but it's definitely much more geared towards my side, my side passion of saving money. Yeah, exactly. And we were we were both finance majors back at the University of Delaware. So I, I appreciate everything that you're doing and uh this has been a wonderful conversation send me those links i'll make sure i put them in the show notes so anybody who is looking for information on how to become a a more steady investor they can find that as well as links to anything else that you want to share so ricky i really appreciate coming on always good to talk to you um it's it's been too long so hopefully we can do this again soon and uh and i love you buddy yeah i love you too man Thanks again for having me. Always fun to talk with you. I just love what you're doing here. You're doing some really great stuff. So keep it up. Thank you again for listening to Changing the Channel with Joe Garner. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the podcast. Hit the bell to know when a new show comes out. Share with a friend and rate us on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It helps get these messages out to more people to create the collective shift in reality we are here to experience. Make sure you interact with the Q&A and poll sections of the show so I can continue to provide content you enjoy. Finally, check out my website in the show notes to become a VIP of Changing the Channel and join the shift that is happening.